0: Welcome to Winning the Game of Life. Known as Jungle Man at the Poker Table, Dan Cates has gone from being the bag boy at McDonald's with no friends and a dead-end future to winning over $11 million in online poker, over $7 million in live tournaments, and is a World Series of Poker champion. He has found fame, fortune, been to incredible places all over the globe and connected with some amazing people. It looks like Dan has won the Game of Life But that is not the way he sees it. Dan sees winning as doing his part to help everyone in the world win. He knows he can't do it alone, though. He knows it's going to take a collective effort with anyone that wants to see the same thing. Join us each week as Dan starts the conversation to do just that. On the show, Dan will interview incredible individuals that have made the impossible possible, those that have won the game of life, and those that want to help others. Win as well. Hit subscribe and follow Dan's journey on Instagram at TheDanCates. Let's explore anyone and anything that can help make this world a better place, increasing the odds of us all winning the game of life. And now, here's your host, Dan Cates.
1: All right, what's up, guys? This is Dan Cates, otherwise known as Jungle Man, which you know me as. And today I've got the 2014 main event winner who was a pro for four years before we won and had an array of interests and an interesting uh, story in comparison to many poker players. I think he's kind of an outlier in the field. Martin Jacobson, what's going on?
2: Not much, man. Uh, I'm actually back in Sweden right now. Uh, I'm here for uh, some holiday after the World Series. It's nice to be back in the summer. I haven't been here in a while uh, in the summertime. Is a uh, very nice
1: city. Yeah, I've heard Sweden's really nice. So eventually I eventually want to go. I've never been to Sweden. I've only been to Denmark and uh, Scandinavia. Oh no, I've been to, uh in Scandinavia. I've been to Norway too. I've never been to Sweden. Um, mm-hmm.
2: I go I both... go if you have a chance, go to Stockholm. Oh, it's uh... uh it's similar to to uh, Copenhagen or Norway and, and Denmark, but still different. Like there's A lot of similarities like every country that are close to each other and has a lot of history and stuff you'll see a lot of similarities but still unique in its own way
1: okay yeah I I definitely want to go so uh tell us a bit about um well you originally were a chef now or you had the dream of becoming a master chef I understand uh this seems really different from playing poker (laughs)
2: <laughs> this is yeah i mean it's different not
1: the not the typical origin story of a poker player i'm curious what uh is there any similarity between being a chef and uh wanting to become a professional poker player because being a poker player i mean i guess they can be really competitive like there's that show um that i've watched like twice about uh chefs competing for a spot or something is that does it have something to do with in- with that level of competitive competitiveness or what
2: no i be i mean being a chef is is creative work and i think poker can be creative in its own sense even though it might have be viewed as it but especially like starting out as a poker player like back in the day uh when you know you're trying to find your own way uh, as a player and there wasn't a lot of resources available so you have to be a lot more creative with how you progressed. uh so i think there's similarities there uh, i also think there's similarities with you know going against the grain and, and following your own path and exploring maybe unconventional options like all my friends growing up they no one uh, no one decided to be a chef like that was you know i was a bit of an outlier there uh, in the the early days, so uh, I think there's similarities there, uh, but you know, other than that, I don't know how much it is. You know, there's some sense of competitiveness uh, being a chef, and uh, but it's more more so the creative side, uh, and that's something I miss actually playing poker. I don't feel the same sort of like fulfillment I felt like as I was cooking.
1: Okay, that makes some sense. I can see sort of there's like a there's some kind of room for creativity in poker and like big bet games um not really limit games there's a little bit but you have to really look for it um yeah the unconventional thing makes quite some sense um so now that poker is uh not satisfying you what other stuff are you doing i saw that you were also a mixed martial arts person uh one way in which you're an outlier compared to most people poker is you're in shape which uh you know i'm sitting here when i'm at the table i'm like thinking oh man uh gotta do something about this but uh could talk about that to some extent uh so there's mixed martial arts i saw you're part of uh reg as well rational effective giving um you do some angel investing. There seem to be more open-ended things to be involved in. There might be some things I'm missing here. Uh, yeah, yeah,
2: no, I mean those are all true. Uh, I'm I'm sort of exploring a lot of different um, hobbies and other things that I might enjoy. And and I think you know that's I guess that makes me a bit of an outlier as well in poker because most poker players, at least at the highest level, they're a hundred percent dedicated to poker. Uh, whereas I've always sort of dabbled into other fields as well. Uh, especially after winning the main event, I lost a little bit of a motivation f- to continue playing. Uh, I'm sort of felt like i have reached the top and I, I didn't really know what to go from there. And that's really when I started exploring other options, like starting a business, becoming an entrepreneur, investing, um, So, um, yeah, and then also, you know, enjoying life outside of poker um, and work, uh, such as uh, training and having a good routine. I mean, it's always something that I've pride myself with that I've always uh, been very professional in terms of my preparation before I play because I I see – I've always viewed poker as an endurance game where it makes a lot of sense to take care of your – body and mind and and sort of prime that to be in perfect condition to be able to make the best decisions possible. So that for me has always been like half of the game in itself apart mm-hmm. from studying and and working on the technical stuff.
1: Okay. Okay. And by the way, I want to add uh we happen to have that in common. I also since I ex- experienced extreme ex- uh success in poker. I, I got bored of it. I was like, what's the point of this? It became effectively a rat race for me. You know, I can make some money and whatever. Um, so, and a bit of that pressure as well. And by the way, um, I wanted to add that actually, it may not be the case exactly in poker. Uh, I don't know. I haven't taken, look and, looked properly at the data, but it has been shown that many Nobel winners, Nobel prize winners, often more often than not actually have other interests outside of their interests. In fact, it benefited them in some kind of way, which uh, is a little bit mysterious because I don't really see how other things benefit Um, leading into the mental preparation thing. I can absolutely see how that benefits and how being in shape uh, would benefit some to a certain extent, I think, especially for most people it will benefit them. And some kind of mental preparation, it's probably a good idea. Most people are not doing that, I think. Uh, I myself only pull it out when I really require to. Can you go into what your mental preparation was before, well, just in general, and also before winning the main event, if it was especially special? Before the November 9, that would be something that would require, that would be a good time to prepare, I think.
2: Yeah, exactly. So... I mean, I, t- I took that break that was, you know, during the time where it was November nine. So we made a final table in July and then we got a three or four month break before. Uh, so I saw it as an excellent opportunity to, you know, put my best, put myself in the best position possible to, to take it down. And so I, I dedicated almost as much time to mental and physical preparation as I did to the game, technical, um, game plan. Uh, game planning for the final table so i started i well i already i was already meditating before but it was definitely something that i focused on a lot more um sort of visualizing how the table like how the final table was going to play out um and uh yeah you know of course like made sure that i was in tip-top shape to be able to play a pull off a 16-hour session
1: okay okay uh is there anything like specific that you did in meditation was it just like typical meditation like focusing on your breathing was there any gym involved was it like some kind of scene out of one of those movies where like the guy is preparing for a fight and he's running up the hill and he's like doing jumping jacks and was it something like that or <laughs>
2: what? no so so what i did once i made a final table uh i thought it would be a good idea to ask all my closest friends what they would do in this spot because it's obviously something that people have thought about and it would be sort of easier for them to give me advice that way uh so a lot of people came with some really good advice uh, a lot of my friends and we sort of worked together as a team uh so they helped me come up with a, a lot of good uh tips and strategies on how to prepare how they would prepare uh so but what i did the most was uh Uh, I did a lot of guided meditation, a lot of yoga, a lot of running and, um, yeah, focused a lot on, on sleep, getting good night's sleep, uh, being able to like lower my adrenaline levels after playing the first day or or the second day, uh, just stuff like that. Supplementation, uh, eating clean, making sure that my energy levels were, uh, as good as they could be.
1: Okay, well, congratulations. Uh, also for being, I I just can't see like many of the other guys doing that. Maybe they are, and I just don't know. I just have not really heard of that many people doing that kind of stuff beforehand. I imagine it adds like some kind of edge that people aren't really thinking about. Uh, for sure, like the lower your adrenaline levels, the less likely you'll be. Your mind will be dazed in some really frustrating situation. Um the less likely you are to make a rash decision or to be patient. I can certainly see how these things would help. Uh, Do you have routines before you generally play poker? Um, I believe I mentioned that you've been a professional, you were a professional for four years before you won the main event also. So perhaps you had been doing this kind of uh, work on the side in addition to, uh, well, before the main event or is it just for this
2: moment no uh, for sure i i, I started working i have sort of experimenting my whole career with how to reach uh, peak performance and, and being able to excel and do stuff that other people don't uh because i've never i never viewed myself as the most like game technical player and, and the most like gifted in that sense so i always try to look for other edges to to give me uh something that I can excel in and and this is something that I I found and, and also that I personally enjoy uh, you know so I haven't I've just been doing it for poker I'm doing it for cuz I do enjoy it like it's a big passion and a hobby of mine and and I care a lot about health and and being the best person I can be like aside from being a poker player uh, so it sort of came natural to me but then yeah like I said once I made a final table I I was focusing I had way more motiv- motivation to uh, sort of go extreme and uh you know it was a lot easier to uh to put in the work.
1: Millions of dollars is a good incentive.
2: <laughs> yeah, that and you know becoming the world champion and realizing that this is most likely your only shot at it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well health and, and uh what else? Mindfulness is nice. But yeah it helps to have the millions of dollars on the side and
2: uh uh, I think we saw that this, uh, this year as well uh, with uh, with Espen winning. You know, I saw a lot of similarities in his approach and and he could have said he didn't have the break. Uh but luckily he was already prepared.
1: <laughs> uh, I wonder if he's going to watch this.
2: <laughs> oh maybe I should have him on the show. Okay, I'll be interested to show, hear. I about might it. have
1: to uh, tell him he said that or someone <laughs> said it maybe. It would be good yeah. to see his reaction.
2: Yeah. No, it's always nice, you know, you see someone like that, that uh, cares a lot about their um, composure and, and focusing on, and, you know, lowering their adrenaline and you could see the difference and they had sub match in particular, <laughs> you could see Adrian was very frustrated with how things were going and how slow Espen was playing and he was just taking his time and not like letting anything affect him and he was just you know, doing his thing and then it worked out.
1: I will say that when people are playing slow and uh,
2: deliberate,
1: I've, I can find it super frustrating. So I, I don't know if I advocate that or not. Um, I do advocate discipline, not my strong suit. Um, I guess, yeah, viewers discipline and playing using a little bit of tempo when you play. It's not a bad idea. Uh, certainly has a it's gonna frustrate your opponents. Why not? Um, I didn't really use that edge, but that actually does seem like an edge. It, I'm keeping an open mind here. It's just something that I don't I don't like to do.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. I, it frustrates me as well when people are like clearly wasting time. Uh, they're taking you know, ten seconds to um, make up a pre flop decision. But I think there's a time and a place, and if there's ever a time to do it, it, it would be the the World Series main event final table. You know, when you're playing for so much and such a unique spot. But you know, doing that. Day one or whatever like it's it's kind of ridiculous that's true
1: i guess there can be some situations where it can work one thing you have to keep in mind is how enjoyable you are to play with but in that situation it doesn't matter mm. uh heads up at the at the final table yeah maybe that would be one of the situations where i'm, I'm like getting ideas now i'm thinking about how to apply it because i it would drive people I guess in really competitive games, it's a good idea. I, oh. I don't really get against VIPs specifically, so it'll piss them off too much.
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, like I said, there's a the time and a place. Uh, but if when you play a tournament, it's such a unique environment. they are probably only going to be in that spot versus that opponent once. Uh, so it doesn't really matter as much. But if you're playing a cash game, there's of course way more other considerations to keep in mind.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's talk about some other things. Uh what are what do you think some of the personality traits that have helped you with poker and do they are there is there any crossover from them to martial arts or to being a chef i know we talked about creativity a bit um yeah what are your thoughts on that
2: i think i'm more competitive than i would like to admit and i probably realized uh i've never like viewed myself as very competitive but then every now and then i realize that i it's actually a trait of mine that it's fairly strong compared to most other people. Maybe it's because I'm comparing myself to my peers, to other poker players. Like a lot of my friends, they like to you know gamble on anything really. Like they're and uh, and they get really into things like side games and and all that stuff. And that's never really interested me. But if I compare myself to like a regular person with a regular job, it's like a different story. Then in that sense, I'm very competitive. Uh, so that would be one. And then being patient, I would say. Um, in general, I'm quite patient when it comes to poker, at least. Maybe not so much in other areas of, of my life. And being a professional, uh, I would say, as well.
1: Being professional?
2: Being professional in my approach. So, like, you know, taking it seriously. But, I mean, it's something that most people do these days. But back in the day, you know, when I started out, it was not as common. Uh, people got... You got drinking the night before, and you know, not put it in the work, studying, and, and all that stuff.
1: Sure. So something like discipline, you could say.
2: Discipline, yeah, that's better. Okay. Term okay. For it. Well,
1: it seems it seems like you're. Well, would you say that you're hardworking also? Because, I mean, at least in the, uh, is it the holistic side, the 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 side that it's related to well to overall well being? It sounded like you're pretty. uh, at least some kind of co- combination of disciplined and hardworking, um, would that be a factor as well, or is do you think it's not necessarily... Or is, does it go uh, boil down more to talent?
2: No, I think it's a mixture of everything. I think, yeah, for sure, I think I have talent for, for the game and, and for being a poker player. You know, Being a poker player is so much more than just having talent for the actual game, like the game, uh, understanding the game theory behind it and, and being able to play. Uh, but yeah, I think once I, once I dedicate myself to something, I, I go all in, like I'm that sort of personality with, which mm-hmm. I don't think is uncommon for poker players where usually yeah. all in or nothing in everything we do. And yeah, uh, so I think that goes kind of hand in hand with being hardworking uh, because you get very dedicated to to one task and you just become sort of obsessive about it. And, and you spend a lot of time and, and energy and focus being able to solely focus on this one thing, uh, which is poker.
1: Sure. Um, I found that to be true also. Uh, I was that way. So there's that. And there's actually a book called "The One Thing" and how that leads to more progress on the whole. Um, the irony is I haven't really applied that effectively to my life lately, but definitely for poker, definitely in general, uh, that's the fastest way to make progress is inundate yourself with with uh, with everything that you want to do. Um, yeah, I would say, B, for the people watching, uh, definitely competitiveness has seemed to be an overarching trait that every single person has that has reached the heights of poker. Um, so I'm curious, what uh, does your competitiveness show up in martial arts? And I know that you're involved in um reg as i said ra- rational effective giving and angel investing um is well there's a few different things does the competitiveness, competitiveness apply in those areas as well or are you doing these for other reasons are you as passionate about any of these things um yeah well i think go ahead
2: okay also well, we start with mixed martial arts uh it's a uh... Something I've been following for the past ten years or so, I would say. Mm-hmm. I only started actually practicing training martial arts maybe six or seven years ago. So I was following the sport before beforehand. Um, but I think what fascinated me the most about it and draw me to it it was uh, problem solving, and it's you know very similar to poker where yeah you, uh, you have your strategy and your opponent's strategy and then you're trying to figure out whose strategy is the best and um sort of a zero-sum game in that sense as well i suppose where one person is always going to come out on top and that fascinated me and uh yeah it kept me intrigued and i want to learn more about it and uh, i think it's uh and especially considering the risks you know the stakes that you're playing um when you you know you're playing with with your life basically <laughs> like when the when the cage locks, it's uh one yeah you know two people are competing for at the highest stakes, so that's super interesting to me and and uh, also all the different techniques that you can learn. It's like an endless uh, learning spectrum of all the different uh, martial arts. So I started doing boxing about seven years ago, uh, so that's sort of where I started and um yeah, I realized, you know, the progression was very steep, at, at least in the beginning. Uh so I progressed pretty quickly. So that was motivating as well. I never like took it as far as like um uh, taking on matches or something. Like the first I went was doing some sparring and uh, classes. If you've ever been
1: in a cage fight. You're saying you're mentioning how when you get in the cage you can't get out.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I had a friend that did that, so <laughs> Uh, Anyway, uh, so, um, and then recently, uh, about six months ago, I started doing uh, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well, and uh, that I fell in love with, like, straight away, because that, to me, is, like, complete problem-solving with very little risk, uh, as opposed to other forms um, of martial arts.
1: Okay. I uh, have been interested in this sort of thing myself, but for a couple other reasons. It's actually part of problem solving for myself, because uh, I do all sorts of workouts, and frankly, I'm bored of shit doing a lot of them. I, I don't really like going to the gym and doing the same thing over and over, so I decided, okay, is there something I can do that I can actually use later and hypothetically get in some cage fights Uh, but it might be too dangerous. That's part of the problem with fighting is it's like, you can say that it's zero sum, but the issue that I find with it is it's sort of less than zero sum, unless you're like a top fighter. Uh, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of incentive other than you can protect yourself. There might be something in it, like related to self mastery. This actually leads to a question I'm about to ask you, um, But I happen to be interested as well, and particularly in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu based on my research. But it was also in the form of solving a larger scale problem for myself, of where to orient my learning and uh, to try to solve multiple problems at once. You could say my learning, my career, and also fitness, uh, all three of those things. And mm, to apply uh, the strengths of strategy, but uh, the question I've got for you is uh, through training martial arts are there any is there any crossover from that to skills to life because in poker I find that there are there there are a couple subtle skills um, I would presume in martial arts that there are there might be some uh, and I would think that there might be some in some other areas as well and are you able to do were you able to do use it in any kind of career aspect or you just do it for fun or um yeah, why don't you tell me about that?
2: I think uh, one of the biggest benefits is that it really humbles you. You know, you go to your first, especially BJJ practice in, in class, and you get to roll with all sorts of people at different ages, different uh, men, women, kids, like, <laughs> you name it, old people. And it doesn't really matter because it's all technique and there's very little strength involved. Uh, if you know your technique, so uh, I think that is one of the biggest benefits. I really, I felt so humble, but also like so appreciative of the sport and the art form. Uh, and it was just such a nice like community. I think so. A lot of these mixed martial arts, arts gyms, like they, they might seem, they might seem like terrifying at first, like showing up to your first class. But then once you, once you actually take that step. And you realize that everyone's there for the same reason and everyone's super friendly and, and appreciative and and have sup- something in common. Uh, it's, you know, it's super rewarding. I feel so much better afterwards. So that's really, you know, my biggest motivating motivation, I would say. Apart from, obviously, you know, I like to be physical, like do physical activities as well. But I also get bored doing the same workout. So I try to mix it up as much as possible. But mm-hmm. there's only so much you can do on your own. And I really appreciate group training and especially learning a new skill as you're exercising and getting in the, the benefits from that uh, on top.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, so would you say there's anything in the form of self-mastery other than uh, it being humbling or is, is, has there been any, any crossover from that to poker, any crossover from that to any other areas of your life?
2: Mm, not really being hum- more humble and more um self-confident i would say you know it brings a lot of confidence in, in in yourself and your own abilities as well as being humble so uh it's that mixture of those two things um yeah i would say but there's there's a lot of similarities poker and, and martial arts for sure uh just with the problem solving that it's like you know two different strategies and you try and figure it out it's kind of like playing heads up
1: whoops. okay that seems like might suit me, I suppose. I have uh, been looking into. Well, I had the idea to try Japanese uh, jujitsu, to be precise. Um, I happened to meet someone who was a was a bit of a master in that field. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'll give it a try. Let's talk about reg, or rational effective giving, um, and angel investing. What do these have to do with competition? Because to me, I'm thinking of these things and I don't see a competitive aspect to them. I don't see, I can see some elements of creativity being applied to it. What is it? Uh, what got you to these things? And is there any relevance to your other uh, interests?
2: I will say, reg, right, it's more about purpose for me and, and doing something, giving back, and, and doing something that actually feels more rewarding than just playing because i think playing poker is sort of like a selfish thing yes. you know I, I play for myself like i'm not providing any value for anyone else like i'm trying to take other people's money you know and you're trying to take my money but those are just the rules of the game and it's fun and you know we, we love the game we try and you know try to figure out the best strategy for it and we're trying to beat each other but at the same time it doesn't really provide that much value so For me, it's always been important to also doing something else uh, aside and trying to give it back, and that's where Reg came into the picture. And um, it was as I made the final table that I reached out to them. I reached out to uh, Liv and Igor, the friends of mine that started, and um, because it, I knew I wanted to support some sort of charity organization and give them exposure for the final table, Mm -hmm. and uh, Reg just. Aligned perfectly with my core values and I saw you know, the benefits and the way they think about charities um, charity donations as opposed to regular organizations and how you take the poker principles or the principles we use in poker and finance and apply them to charity so you um, you distribute the funds with um, from a poker perspective rather than like giving with your heart and and, you know all the fees and all the like a lot of the donations just get eaten up by administration fees and and charities that aren't very effective meaning that not a lot of the money is actually going to the right cause or being used in the best effective way
1: oh yeah there's lots of inefficiency i um i actually don't agree with their model for, for a certain reason but they're close. They're, their general idea is good. There's always better and better ways of doing things. And I want to uh, give you an idea, actually, about poker. In a way, poker doesn't have to be purely selfish. Um, this is where I got the – I mean, I had the idea myself to entertain because not all ways of giving value are, like, strictly monetary in terms of, like, what people need. It's also in terms of entertainment. Uh, this is why I personally have thought to make the podcast uh, and also – this is a version of entertainment and, um, you know, giving value in the version of uh, curiosity and giving ideas and opening people's minds. That's kind of thing. Uh, but also, uh, yeah, I mean, basically entertaining is a way of making it more fun for everyone because it's just, uh, one obvious issue of tournaments these days is that people seem to lack like, people dimensionality and they're not making it that much fun um so that might be something an idea if if you're interested to explore because creativity seems to be something that you're interested in uh and i can see there's a similarity at least for me i also by the way did cooking over um lockdown i took quite a few cooking lessons and I got really into, uh, making these artistic dishes and things like that. Was that something that you did? Were you, were you really, uh, when you made dishes, did they look like pieces of art or was it, or, uh, were you experimenting with the ways to add different kinds of sauces, stuff like that?
2: Oh yeah, for sure. I think, you know, cooking as a, is a real art form and, uh, especially I have very high ambitions, uh, as a cook and I wanted to become a chef at a, work in a michelin star restaurant and work myself up and that's kind of where my poker career started because i got a job opportunity in barcelona at a three-star michelin restaurant and then that job offer never materialized and during that period of time i was playing poker as a hobby will you be pursuing that dream now that you have achieved essentially total freedom you can do
1: whatever you want is that on your list of things to do i mean that way you get to pursue creativity and uh, seems like an inspiring goal, or have your goals
2: changed? Yeah, I think they changed a little bit, to be honest. Uh, I think, yeah, you know, I got a taste of what cooking is really like, especially at a, a high level. It's very, very hard work, and you really have to, to love it to uh, to be dedicated and to sustain that pressure because there's a shit ton of stress, not just on your body, but also like, um, you know, physical and mm-hmm. mental stress. Uh, So, no, I don't think I'll be pursuing that career anymore, given that I'm now about 15 years uh, older than I was then. <laughs> you know, when I was 20, I had a, you know, a little bit different uh, ambition. Um, but I'll always love cooking, and I'll love to, you know, do it in a different way, maybe not on the same level as I, I wanted to do back then. But um, you know, I've been dabbling into like, starting businesses where I, I would use my creativity and create food for people. Like that would be very fulfilling. Um, nutrition has like always been a, a big passion of mine, hmm. and I like to dissect like everything I eat and, and try to optimize it for not just performance but for longevity and health.
1: Maybe a business, starting a business related to that, or being part of some business you invest in maybe that makes sense or using the knowledge that you know from cooking and nutrition uh to be a part of like yeah uh one of the um to help you invest in the right kinds of companies that kind of thing maybe that would maybe that makes sense i don't really know i don't know a ton about nutrition um no that's, that's a very well.
2: hard it's a very difficult market to break into, I think, as a very if you have very little experience. So I think I've dodged some bullets throughout my career where I've been close on like opening up a juice bar in like two, 2012 or, or something like that. Opening or up a juice even, bar? A juice bar. Like a fresh juice bar. You know, when, there was oh, like, when oh, everyone juice. was juicing. Oh, really? Juice. You opened up yeah. a juice bar? <laughs> okay. What's that? You opened up a juice bar. No, I I was close to um, oh. a couple times actually, uh, and then I wanted to open up a healthy like fast food chain, and I had a bunch of different ideas, and I almost pursued them. But I mean now, especially with COVID, I'm I'm really glad I didn't. And, and I've invested in like a couple businesses that are doing that sort of stuff, um, but you know most of them haven't worked out because it is a very tough industry, and it's sort of what I've gathered so far is that there's a few people or a few companies making, you know, have the complete market share uh, and uh, it's very hard to break into that and get some sort of market share where it's actually worth uh, your time and, and effort that hmm. you put into it. Hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah. all these big industries, You have to find some kind of niche. So o- exactly. It's pretty much what every single person says uh, when you're trying to create some kind of business or whatever. And there's no competing with these like massive conglomerates. It's not the right. It's not the way. Um, No.
2: And there's only so many niches left to do, you know, you can know. Yeah. Sure. You can open a vegan place, but there's a million vegan places nowadays. And like, it's changed a lot in the last 10 years, I would say. So this was like, mind you, this was long before, you know, there was a a juice bar in every corner. So, um, but you know, I would have had a lot of competition and i probably wouldn't have been able to keep up. So, that's the cool thing about poker, actually, is that uh,
1: kind of anyone can start winning. I think, like, I don't think that to win at poker, if you find the right game, you have to be obsessed with it. If you're coming from some other industry, it's like kind of easy to break into. So that's one interesting thing about poker is like there's plenty of businessmen that don't really need to. The people that are just successful at anything that don't really need to uh, be. Be
2: obsessed with it to get into it. Would you agree with that? Um. Yeah. I mean, in the short term, I would, but I mean, it all depends on your your game and your playing environment. If if you're better than the people you're playing against, if you're playing in a juicy private game where uh, you know everyone sucks, like yeah, you don't need to be very good at it. But if you're playing like yourself, like if you're playing in Bobby's room, like you have to be one of the best to to have an edge and win long term.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. just I'm just talking about like competing in bodies i'm talking about like okay. beating your boys or oh, i see beating yeah, your yeah, business yeah, yeah. associates or whatever it is okay uh, yeah.
2: yeah i mean in that.
1: The, yeah it's unique in that way which um and it's unique every- that
2: any, anyone can win short term right anyone can show up to one game and have a win winning session
1: well yeah but anyone can also just win against their friends uh like i guess that that's sort of a different that's a longer version of uh winning in the short term it's not super long term it's not okay we're gonna go and play the toughest games in the world it's we're going to we're just gonna figure out a beat people in my local vicinity kind of thing it's much easier to beat one or a few people where you don't you're not forced to compete against the entire world um whereas if you were to enter the nutrition market you can't really make a business out of. You can't really make a business out of selling your own nutrition products locally, if you know what I mean. I mean, you can kind of, but you can't make that much money from it, and it's going to require way, way more work than, you know, just learning a few basics of poker.
2: Would you yeah. agree with that? I would agree with that, and I also think that as a poker player. It's easy to be overly optimistic about other, other industries. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. you look at <laughs> as a poker player, you look at business like, oh, well, like why are they doing that? Like this is such an obvious thing, like to fix. They should just do this and that instead. They should just tweak here, and this is how I would have done it. And you just think that it's super easy, but it really isn't. Like there's a lot more to it. So, yeah, I think oh, yeah, you got to be some, <laughs> somewhat cautious and not compare everything to poker. I think that's something that I've done in the past as well. That I always see nothing's risky to me anymore like everything <laughs> that's why i've invested in a bunch of businesses that failed because i I read their decks and i was like oh this doesn't seem that risky compared to you know playing these uh ten thousand dollar tournaments and <laughs> yeah that's that mistake the risk factor <laughs> there whoops <laughs> yeah
1: well would you say that poker has helped you um in other industries uh studying poker is it all are the, are the skills transferable or what do you think
2: uh yeah i think they have but it's hard to pinpoint exactly where uh you know if i were to quit poker today like where where would i go like where can my skill set um transition into and fit into society in and, and the normal like workforce so i think but i think the most obvious one would be going into trading uh, i have a lot of friends who've transition into trading and they've actually been sort of headhunted for big yeah, trading firms because there's this one skill that's very hard to teach that poker players are sort of natural at and that's you know being okay and taking risk like we see value in ev and we just max it and we don't think twice about it especially if we're playing on somebody else's money mm-hmm. uh, it's such a no-brainer for us whereas other people this is a, from what i've heard um people have has long degrees and, and are very accomplished like elsewhere in, in, in finance or whatnot, they really struggle to pull the trigger even if because they just see the risk factor and they don't they're just too uncomfortable to to maximize the opportunity.
1: I think you kind of answered the the I was asking a bit of a bigger question in are the trades transferable generally speaking, but you kind of answer that actually. Um at least this one it's undeniable is that poker helps you to take more risks in ways that are strategic. I think we can agree on that. For sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, trading is the most obvious comparison. I think other ideas of risks are less tangible. Uh, Like, starting a business is very uh, different kind of risk. But, uh, yeah. I think it's not so easy to see the clear parallels and how poker can help in those areas that's what i'm personally trying to explore is is there a crossover but i think there is it's just not that obvious uh what about in rational effective giving i would say it it can be but i want to i i know i i heard that you had that their metric of success was how many lives are saved i don't agree with that but uh i want to hear your thoughts first
2: uh, yeah, I mean, that's you know super rational uh, <laughs> approach. Uh, I'm not sure that I agree with that either, but I think that um, as opposed, like their what they're doing and in, in the way they're distributing the money, uh, mm-hmm. I think is great, and a much better approach to the traditional, where you're uh, you know most people when they give to charity, they donate to causes where they feel some sort of connection and they feel it feels good for them to you know give to that organization because they, they have some sort of connection there like emotional attachment whereas reg doesn't really care about that they just see this is how these those these funds can make the biggest difference and yeah they they measure it in saved lives which you know could be a little bit too extreme perhaps i think um, it's not extreme enough you don't think it's extreme okay so what's your approach what 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 do you suggest
1: uh so well this is a way that i want to point out firstly that cold rationality can apply but there's a uh i'm going to mention a how you say a caveat to this because there's a really tricky caveat um especially considering you mentioned that people should be allowed to give freely to things that they believe in and they, they choose to. It's a tricky one to navigate, but that's a different story. I'll get to that in a second. But what I think is okay, so there's a bunch of people who's, you know, saving lives is nice, but there's a bunch of people, people either do good, well, they do a range of good and bad and whatever. But it's kind of like, well, you can't save everyone, first of all. And we're not at the point where we can do that. And part of the right. problem with that is there's lots of people out there not doing good things. Um, and it seems like if, resources are going to be allocated, they should be allocated to one, the people that are helpless and can't decide for themselves. In my view, that's the children. Um, I think the children are the biggest, are the biggest people in order to impact and set them on the right path and teach them to do good. Uh, But you can allocate to the people that are actually doing good, that are going to like use the resources wisely uh, to better themselves and to, you know, help other people. There are plenty of people that are doing the opposite. There are plenty of people that are u- wasting their resources uh, and using money for bad. and um, and well, what was I gonna say? And uh, you know, like you don't really want to keep those people sustained. Uh, you If you were gonna give resources to people, give them to the ones that are gonna like keep using them to make a bigger, bigger, positive change, ideally. And just like, and you want to reward good behavior too. You, won't, you don't want to communicate the message, oh, it doesn't matter what you do. You can just exist. Uh, you want to communicate the message, The message: no, if you do good, you'll get good, right? And you want to also communicate the message, if you do bad, you get less. <laughs> uh, yeah. On you waste of resources, you get less. This is what the workplace communicates implicitly. This is why people get rewarded for the work that they do. And this is why, by the way, that businesses tend to be more effective to creating positive change than, or it's one of the reasons anyway. Um, than pure charity, you don't want to just you don't want to just give freely without no uh, consequences in the sense of giving versus not giving. Um, you can take away extra resources, and I don't think uh, if we're just looking at lives saved, I don't think that factors that in. And oftentimes, you don't want to get to the point where you know the lives are so far gone that. Uh, I mean, you want to save lives, sure, but like we want to save the lives maximally, as much as possible in the long run, which means, in a way that is purely ethical, that uh, you know involves helping the people as much as possible. They can continue to help more and more and more. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah, for sure. There should be some sort of you know some business metrics like KPIs and 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 performance trackers and um yeah if you don't perform you have to be responsible for it and, and explain why like what happened with the funds and uh, what have you done so far and if someone's doing well they, they should be allocated more resources than others I think that makes perfect sense I also like what you said about focusing on the children because I think that's for sure a very neglected uh, category and the children are of course the future I think that's one of the biggest problems with society that we're just focusing on the symptoms so much. We're not focusing on um, preventing natural disasters and and things that are inevitable in the future, but like pretty forthcoming. Like we can see, we know that they're coming. We know that these things are going to happen, but we don't care about it until they actually happen. And so much could be prevented and eased by like so much suffering can be eased by focusing and being a little bit having a little bit of better foresight of what's coming
1: oh yeah um 100 percent. the absolute root in my view is the children this is why i'm I'm personally shifting my focus there i'm attempting to use the strategy skills from poker in this domain um that's what i personally believe uh yeah
2: Uh, to take it to to take one step further i think It's crazy that there's no such thing as parenting school. Like anyone can become a parent. Anyone can be responsible to raising a a child for 18 years and you don't need to do anything. Like (laughs) that's crazy to me. I wonder, there's probably
1: some kinds of things. You'd be surprised at how many different kinds of people and organizations there really are once you really dig into some of these, uh, really dig. I've just found, I've been continually surprised at how many things there are. Uh, that one I don't specifically know, but that would be if it doesn't exist, that would be a good idea. If it doesn't exist, even if it does exist, it's still not a bad idea for a business. Just because it's not doesn't exist so much that clearly the the space is saturated. Um, but there's all kinds of resources out for uh, parents to lear, learn how to raise their children. There's some data on this, by the way. Uh, okay. In fact, it, it's been shown that what matters the most is not so much the neighborhood, but actually pockets of neighborhood that children are raised in. Particularly, role models. If they have a good role model, then they'll uh, lead to be better people. As it turns out, like that was one of the biggest factors. Um, being in rich neighborhoods actually did matter quite a bit. Uh, spoiler, <laughs> sorry, I guess. Um, yeah, but for a bunch of different reasons. Yeah, but I think it's for the factors that are correlated. Anyway, so what's um what's on your plate next? Uh, what are you are you just like are you gonna be doing much poker in the future? Are you just looking at it as like a way to make money? Uh what uh, are you yeah, what's what are your plans?
2: Uh so right now I'm doing a lot of coaching. Uh so I've started a poker course uh, during the pandemic when I got sick of just playing online poker. So I've always sort of split my time between playing live and playing online. And when the pandemic happened and we couldn't play live poker for two years, it was, uh, you know, hundred percent online. And it's, you know, I've always kind of viewed online poker as sort of a, a means to, well, I want to make money, but also uh, get better at the game and, and get the reps in because you can get so much more volume in and so much easier accessible. But I really miss live poker. So I started coaching. Uh, which is something that I really enjoyed as well. Uh, you know, having that, having that social relationship and being able to teach what I've learned uh, or what I know and um, follow other people's journeys as they're getting better and achieving their goals. I got a lot of satisfaction from that, uh, really? so I'm going to continue doing that. And then uh, I've also um, um, accepted a position at a blockchain gaming company uh, that are. Uh, supposed to launch. They're they're doing. They're working on their MEP right now. It should launch by the end of the year. Uh, but in the future, they're going to develop a poker department, which is, I'm going to help uh, manage, pro- project manager uh, project manage. And uh, so, with that, I'm super excited for that. It's called Gamble, uh, and it's going to be have a lot of benefits to the traditional betting industry.
1: Okay. Uh, So you have uh, been involved in even a couple more things than I knew about.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Excited for the future. Um, But at at the same time, I'm going to continue playing poker um, for, you know, as long as I enjoy it and as long as I find it competitive and and, uh, I get, you know, enjoy playing and and, um, find it challenging. I don't think that it's ever going to change. Well, I'm sure
1: you uh, sure can find some uh, people to <laughs> say something like, I'm sure you can find the right challenges and somewhere in it. uh, Maybe you'll find some private games or something you'll play and uh, It wouldn't surprise me. Um, okay, I've got a couple more questions. So uh, I want to ask what led you to deciding to coach
2: well, well it was during the pandemic and uh, I just got fed up with playing online poker mm-hmm. and uh, a friend of mine reached out to me and he was doing uh, a zoom course uh, with a couple of his students and he asked if I wanted to join him uh, for uh, and I said yes uh, and we developed this program uh, where we were teaching um, through Zoom uh, during the pandemic, and it was super fun and really rewarding because we got that inter- interaction interaction going, and um, being able to teach like what you know, and you realize how much you actually know because it's something that you just take for granted that you don't feel like you feel like you don't know anything, you know, like you just show up and play, and uh, you haven't actually learned much throughout the years. But then once you you, you realize that there's levels to this, and and as a new player, they really appreciated like getting that knowledge and that information. And uh, yeah, it was just really rewarding and, and really fun. And, and then I started doing coaching on um, one-on-ones uh, on my own. And then eventually I created this uh, online course, which is a micro course of focusing on short uh, 15-minute sessions, breaking down poker concepts, uh, mm-hmm. so you can kind of use them to a wide variety rather than the traditional like 60-minute instructional videos where you're breaking mm-hmm. down, um, you know, one hand in solver or whatnot.
1: It sounds like an outlet for your creativity also, as you're applying your creativity to uh, finding new ways to teach people or ways to teach people that are more digestible, perhaps.
2: Yeah, yeah, I had a lot of fun creating that, and uh, it's been a fun journey.
1: If you want to, uh, you can leave a link to uh, one of those videos. Um, I'm happy to uh, put it up on the podcast so that people can take a look for themselves. I myself was a little bit curious to see what you do a little bit differently because I have not heard of 15-minute coaching videos. And what you're doing seems to be teaching principles rather than, okay, we're going to look at this hand and then look at the specifics of this hand. I myself can't can barely talk about. Uh, a poker a specific poker hand for very long it's usually too too small picture um, yeah to be inspiring for me and uh and yeah uh one last thing is why um was it i guess the blockchain thing with serendipity is that something that you're really interested in as well is, is crypto something that's a big interest or are you in it for the money
2: what's the story with that <laughs>
1: Well, no,
2: no, no, I honestly, I've never been that into crypto uh, <laughs> as much as my friends. Many of my friends, they jump ship a poker uh, when, you know, crypto started becoming big in, in 2016, 2017. Uh, and I was always like kind of slow to transition. And I was like following a little bit of what they were doing and what was going on in the world. And I invested a little bit on my own. But I never really got that into it. I started reading up on the technology and and, I never really got it, to be honest, until like recently. But, uh, and I still, I don't claim to get it, like the whole picture, but I understand it a lot better, like the technology and the use cases for it now. Uh, But it's more, uh, so the opportunity of, for one, being part of a startup, but also the opportunity to create a poker room that has a lot of benefits as opposed to the, current uh, poker rooms out there now. So you'll be able to play poker on the blockchain. I mean, that's the that's the concept. It hasn't Uh-oh. been built yet. So it's, you know, in, we're planning on launching the poker platform in uh, early or, yeah, we're going to start working on it in 2014, uh, 2024. So uh, it's, uh, you know, a couple years away. But uh, yeah, to be able to m- modify and create a poker room as i would have designed it maybe it's you know my optimism of being able to simplify everything but uh, i think that creative process i'm I'm really excited about and being able to work with the developers and help them uh, create a poker room that's much better than what's offered today
1: okay um what benefits are yeah and do you want to go into what benefits this new one has or you um yeah if you want to promote it that's also fine or you want to wait
2: sure yeah i mean the, the one of the biggest benefits is that it will be part of a global player pool so you'll be able to play on it wherever you are in the world uh which is not currently possible on on basically any sites uh but there will also be much lower fees so they won't yeah. the rake will be a lot much lower than the traditional. Uh, because they'll burn all the profits. So there's a different um, coin model. So the 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 profits will be burned. And so they're not making money from the rake uh, per se. They're making money because you're buying into the, the coin. You're investing in the coin to play. And that's the same model as it has for the other um, platforms, the, the sports book and the casino and all that stuff.
1: Okay, those are some pretty big incentives. Uh, you guys can pull that off and if what you say is true that no one else is doing it. Um I would think some people are doing something at least similar, then good luck.
2: Oh for that sure. Yeah, good. there will be competitors, but uh yeah, it's super exciting.
1: Well, we're uh any anything else you'd like to talk about before we go?
2: Uh no, not at the top of my head. think we've touched on a a lot of things
1: okay Uh, if there's anything else you'd like to promote uh let me know as well i'm happy to provide some links and uh, otherwise uh thanks for being on the podcast and sharing your insight
0: thanks man i appreciate it thank you for listening to this episode of winning the game of life tune in next week for another great episode Of course, hit subscribe and follow Dan on Instagram at TheDanCates.